Hallelujah. Let's give God one more praise. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you're doing, God. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you, Lord, for our bishop. Thank you for our church staff. Thank you for our people that are here, God. Hallelujah. You may be seated. First of all, I'm going to bring out my phone so I know exactly. Okay, got it. I want to give honor to Bishop, my Bishop. Thank you, Bishop, for everything you do, for giving us an opportunity to come up here and exercise our giftings. Thank you. We love you. We appreciate everything that you do. You're covering your anointing. Thank you so much. To our First Lady, thank you so much. We love you. Your support. He couldn't do what he does without the support of you. Thank you so much. And the First Sisters, Sister Hannah, Sister Ruth. We love you guys. We appreciate everything that you guys do. Our church staff, wonderful, wonderful group of people I get to work with. And uh, the ministry that is here, awesome. We have been fed through this revival. We have been fed. And to you, the church body, thank you so much for all the love, encouragement, and everything that you do. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Um, If you would turn your Bibles. Oh, first, let me have Bishop pray over this first. I need to repent. <laughs> I'm not even looking at Sister Jackson. I feel these daggers is coming towards me right now. <laughs> oh boy. In the name of Jesus, forgive me. God, your manservant is already anointed. Your anointing is here. Your presence is here. God, I pray that your word would go forth in liberty and with demonstration and with power. I'm asking, God, that your word would fall on good ground. Lord, allow your word to prosper where it's sent today. God, I plead the blood of the Lamb against any distractions at the sound of his voice today. God, I'm asking, God, that your angels will minister according to your command. God, we open our heart to receive the counsel that you are giving through your manservant today, and we ask this blessings on his preaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ooh, I felt the Holy Ghost. felt my help come on. If you would uh, turn to your Bibles to Isaiah 54 and 17, a very familiar set of scriptures. You can stay seated. Uh, just for time's sake, I am going to, I'm sorry, for time's sake, I am going to, to try to build a small foundation real quick and then go on to the core uh, piece of the message that I have. So I'll be reading out the New King James Version, Isaiah 54 and 17. I'm going to break this down as we go. The scripture says, no weapon formed against us, so against you shall prosper. The word weapon breaks down here. It is a utensil or object generally used for hunting or for war. The weapon that is formed against you that the adversary has is meant for destruction. It is meant to hurt. It is meant to maim. It is meant to cause damage to you. It says that this weapon formed against you, shall, it shall not prosper. 
The word prosper means to push forward. It means to go over. It means to advance and it means to succeed. So this weapon that is formed against you, we have a promise from God that it will not prosper. It will not advance. It will not make a, 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 a advance in our life. It will not succeed in our life. That whatever is formed against us that the devil is trying to use against us, God is going to stop and God is going to say it will not be victorious and it will not succeed. Succeed in your life. The scripture goes on to say, Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. The word condemn means to declare wrong or to sentence to punishment. Whatever the adversary has and stands up against you and rises against you, it says that you have the authority to go ahead and call down and declare it wrong. You have the authority to sentence them to punishment because they're arising against a people who are driven and promised by the word of God that we will succeed and that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Why would he do this? Why would he do this? It says here, if you continue to read, that this is the heritage. This is the inheritance. This is the possession that we have because of him, of the servants of the Lord. If you declare yourself as a servant of the Lord, there is something that you have inherited there is something that you have inside you that you didn't fight for, that you didn't die for. It was inherited for you. That is why that you have this opportunity and this protection of God. It says, and their righteous is from me, says the Lord. This, the word says mean that it is, it is a declaration from him. It is a promise that he has given you. You can see in our lives, we've been through a lot of things recently. There's been a lot of changes. There's been a lot of attack through the uh, of our women that the devil has tried to, to stop the movement that we're going forward and, and, and the position that we are trying to, to develop and the things in the regions and, and the nations that we're trying to take. The devil is there and he's formed weapons against us to get us to stop. His whole purpose is for you to stop dead in your tracks and to look at your current situation and say, God, if you're really for me, then why is the devil fighting so much? Why does it feel like everything in my life is in shambles? Why does it feel like this is the hardest position I've ever been in before? But I want you to have faith and be encouraged this morning that no matter comes against you, it will not prosper. If God said we are taking the region, if God said we are taking the nations, yeah, there might be some bumps, there might be some bruises, but we're going to reach the destination that God has promised because it's a declaration that he gave to us. If you turn in your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, this will be the core scriptures I'll be breaking down and going over for the length of time that I have. Nehemiah 4, 1 through 8, it says, But it so happened when Samballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that were burned? 
Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes upon it, he will break down the stone wall. What had happened here, let me give you a little background here. Nehemiah, he was the cupbearer of the king of Persia. There were men, that the Jews that had uh, uh, survived the, the Babylon captivity after 70 years. God had promised them in Jeremiah 29 and 10. It says, for thus says the Lord, that in after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Jerusalem was a place where the temple was destroyed and the walls around it were destroyed when Babylon took uh, the the Israelites into captivity. It was in shambles. Now, in this set of scriptures here, uh, the temple was rebuilt already. And the city was starting to come back to completion. But in Nehemiah 1, 3 through 4, it says, And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the providence are there in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words, this is Nehemiah speaking, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. There was something that struck him. There was a promise that was made back in Jeremiah. That after the, the, the Babylon captivity of 70 years, that the place that was promised to them, the, word, the place of worship, would be restored. That they would go back to that place and rebuild with the promise that God had gave them. Nehemiah at the time was a cupbearer of the king, so he had favor. He asked the letters of the king to go back with the authority to rebuild what God had promised. Sambalit and, and Tobiah didn't like that. Sambalit, he was a Horonite and Tobiah was an Ammonite. The same people who were driven out of Israel did not want it to be restored because they knew the power of the people of God. If they ever got their hope back, if they ever got what was restored to them, they knew the power that was behind them. It wasn't them trying to rebuild. It was the promise that God had that Nehemiah was trying to fulfill because the walls were protection for the people. In Jerusalem, the walls were in shambles. It says it was in distress and reproach. It was an embarrassment for a city to have a city that was there and people that would inhabit it but have no walls around the city. With no walls, there was no protection. If the enemy wanted to attack, the enemy could attack. If the enemy was there and they wanted to plan something against him, they wouldn't even see it coming because there was no walls to protect the people that were there. If there were wild animals, that they would be eaten because there was nothing to protect them. Nehemiah had a burden so much that he sat there and cried. He asked the king, let me go back. The king gave him letters. He went back as the governor of Judah. And he was there after the temple was rebuilt, but the walls were important to be reestablished. The enemy, Sambalit and Tobiah, they use their, uh, their, their, their smart mouth to go and to talk bad about the Jews and say, look at you, what are you going to do? How are you going to do this by yourself? Will you rebuild these walls in one day? Is what you're doing going to be established and be complete by your hands? But when they were looking in the physical and not looking in the spiritual. Because when God said that something's going to happen, something is going to happen. And he might use one of us to do it. So you got to be available to do it. 
we see here how something must have triggered Nehemiah because all of a sudden in verse 4, he says here, he starts saying and talking to God, start praying to God and says, hey, these things that they say, they've offended me. He says here, oh, our God, for we, have, we are deprived, uh, for we are deprived, turn their reproach on their own heads and give them a plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover the iniquity, and do not, let, do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sambalit and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nehemiah wasn't taking what they said lightly. He was saying, God, just like Jeremiah, when he had prayed against the enemy, he said, Lord, turn it back on their head. Let what they've tried to do against us, because they're trying to stop them from rebuilding the walls. They didn't want them to complete the task that God had given them. So they were trying to intimidate them. The enemy will use uh, discouragement and intimidation and try to get you to stop your hands. But if you read the scriptures, it said the people had a mind to work. I'm telling you, when the church body has a mind to work, there is nothing that the devil can put in front of us that we can't do and we can't overreach and we can't conquer because when we have a body to work, Bishop, whatever instruction you give us will be completed. The devil will use many tactics to get you to slow down and try to discourage you from the, the, the accomplishments that God wants you to have in your life. Uh, you know, when, when Nehemiah was there, there's decisions that he had to make when they came against him and they tried to intimidate him and get him to stop and they said they're going to kill the people and I'm going to start paraphrasing some of this for time's sake and when they, when they were there and, and they, they said they're going to kill the people who were trying to rebuild the walls Nehemiah was a smart man he started putting people to watch the people who were working to protect him to make sure that, that, that what was beginning to happen and reestablish the wall they were already halfway complete that nothing would stop them from finishing the goal I thank God that there is a man in our life right here that if the enemy taunts us and the enemy says that they're going to destroy us, that he, is, he has the mind to put things around us to protect us and be our shepherd and be our protector. <laughs> Nehemiah was responsible for the people. He knew that they're, they're, they can be harmed, so he put people in place to watch them. In uh, Nehemiah 4 and 14, it says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren. 
He was saying, hey, if you're in it, I'm in it. I'm going to fight for you. You fight for me. Because what God has put in, in our mind to do and for us to complete, we have to have the same mind. We have to be on the same, same wavelength and the same goal to accomplish what God wants us to do. The wall needed to be rebuilt for the protection of the people. And it was not just the protection of the people. It was completion of the promise that God had made back in Jeremiah. It's important that we complete what we started. I look at one of the, tac- the biggest tactics that he gives us, and I'm, I'm going to wrap this up in a few minutes, is fear. He'll make you fear. The thing is, is they, they, they didn't send ballot, and Tobias did not have the authority to destroy them. He already received letters from the king of protection. The king even let him use the wood that was from his forest to rebuild some of the things that were needing to be rebuilt. There was a thing the devil tries to do. He tries to intimidate and think that, and make you think he has the authority to do what he wants to do, but he doesn't even have the authority. We already have the written letter from the king that says, hey, you keep moving. You keep doing what I called you to do because my promise needs to be made. We have a promise of protection that says, no, 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 no. Don't worry about what the adversary says. You just keep building. You just keep putting block on top of block. You keep doing and moving in the direction I'm telling you to do because my wall must be completed. If you turn to Nehemiah, and I'm coming to a close, Brother Hildebrand, if you want to start getting ready. Nehemiah 6, 15 through 16, it says, so the wall was finished. On the 25th day of Elu, in 52 days, and it happened when all the enemies heard of it, and then and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that the work was done by our God. It wasn't done by man. It wasn't done by the hands of man. It was done by God. When they were there and they seen the completion in record time of 52 days, it was unheard of for a wall to be rebuilt. But when it's not your hands and it's God's hands, the time frame doesn't matter. He'll excel you and exceed you to a place where you need to go. People will say, hey, this little church, how how can they get the regions? How can they get the nations? They don't understand. They're thinking naturally just like they did. But when God is in control, they're going to look back and be like, man, I should have believed every word that they said. Because church, we have a project. We have a place that God is calling us to rebuild. And Bishop, if you do, I know you know this, but you have a people that is here with a mind to work. 